Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Force podcast. My name is Captain Richard R. Byrne and today I'd like to welcome onto the show Captain Richie Barber, Chairman of the Defence Forces Soccer and manager of the Defence Forces Soccer men's senior team and a player back in his day. Lieutenant Leah McAvoy, central midfield for the Women's Defence Force Soccer Team. Battalion Sergeant Major Jinx, Defence Force goalkeeping coach, physical trainer, instructor and an ex-player. And Private Shannon Thomas, current centre half for the Women's Defence Force Soccer Team. You're all very welcome on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the opportunities that serving members have to play soccer, referee or coach soccer in the Defence Forces. But before we get into that, I'd like to just go around the table and give you a quick brief introduction to everyone and uh, your kind of previous history before you defined Defence Forces and a general rough outline of your career before you got here as well. So Richie, do you want to start with yourself? Yeah, thanks. Um, I was playing outside uh, with St. James's Gate in the Lancer Senior League um, when I joined the Army at 22 in 2009. Uh, went into the cadet school, uh, continued to play when I could during the cadet school. Um, got commissioned in 2011 up to the 27 Battalion. Got involved with DF Soccer straight away. I wasn't allowed to play as a cadet, unfortunately, but uh, it was immediately called into the panel. Um, one of the, the best things that's ever happened to me. Uh, continued playing with the Lancer Senior outside with James Escape up until last year when the legs gave up. And uh, I, I joined, I joined uh, <laughs> Manatown over 35 this year. But in terms of Defence Forces Soccer, I, I stayed as a player for the first couple of years. Got involved with the committee then as a treasurer while I was still playing. Um, and then took over as the chairman and manager then post-2017. Um, and, and that's where I am today and yeah brilliant experience very lucky to be involved So you've, you've really been involved in the DF soccer right from the get go early when you got in Yeah yeah, I played for the cadet school in the Cunningham Cup actually and then that's when I was got the look in for the DF team but I wasn't released for and, and fair enough you didn't want this getting injured but um, the second I got commissioned I was I was involved with the, the DF team so the last 11 years Straight in fair play uh, Major do you want to chat about your own background? Yeah, Sergeant Major Jinx, uh, thanks very much. Um, 29 years now served in uh, the Defence Forces. Um, I played locally uh, with local teams before I joined the Army and then eventually I ended up playing with Athlone Town. Oh, I played a couple of years with Athlone Town, League of Ireland. At the time then they used to have the B League and stuff like that so I kind of transferred from B to the first team every every so often. Um, I then joined the Army in 94 and straight away then I ended up finding myself involved in the Defence Forces. Um, unfortunately, I was a sub goalkeeper. I was only a young culture coming through, like, you know. So, um, was there a dub ahead of you, was there? Yeah, at the, time, <laughs> at the time, there was a fantastic keeper, uh, Sergeant Jerry Behan, who was involved with the, the Defence Force team at that time. And I learned a massive amount from uh, Jerry Behan. He was a fantastic keeper. So I played many years with the Defence Forces. And then I kind of moved away then from the soccer for a couple of years because my career in the Defence Forces was starting to move on a small bit. Um, I ended up in 6th Battalion for over 26 years, um, went went through the ranks, ended up down in Kilkenny, came back from Kilkenny, and now recently got promoted up to 7th Battalion. But I've been involved with the Defence Forces uh, for a number of years. Uh, in fairness, Captain Barber here uh, made the phone call to me, came in, I played with him obviously before, but asked me to come in as the goalkeeping coach. I had previously done the goalkeeping coach with Athlone Town at the time, so I found it an easy transition to come in to the Defence Forces and I've been with them ever since. Happy days. And Shannon, do you want to go talk about your bit of background or how long you're in the DF? Yeah, so I'm in three years now. Before I came, I was playing football over in the States for a couple of years and then I came back after about five years, joined straight into the Army then and I'm playing for Finglish United outside. So it's Premier One. 
So just one under League of Ireland. Not there yet, but one day. You get there. So, and then in the States, with the five years you played there, what was that? Was that college or? College, yeah. So I was in Kansas for two years and then down to Mississippi for three. And was that, a, was it a high level of soccer? Yeah, so we were D2. So over there, it's a little bit different. It's like D1, D2, D3, and then junior level. So we were again, one one below the top. Still still a high high level of soccer. And was that was that a scholarship or full-time or? Yeah, it was a scholarship. So I was a full-time student and then... We'd train the mornings and the evenings, play the weekends, travel. So it was pretty full on. So you came home then, joined the DF, and then you've been playing soccer since? Yeah, I came home summer of 2019 and joined the Army then in July 2019, so straight away, yeah. And during your training, did you play any bit of soccer at all, or was it kind of wait till you finish your training? No, um, the lads did call me out to play, but with ground phases and stuff, if I had a risk getting injured, then I'd never be able to play. So Right, yeah, yeah, so you wait till you finish your training. Finished, yeah. And then Leah, then yourself? Uh, so for myself, I didn't play soccer before the, I joined the Defence Forces. Um, I suppose I'm a big GA head, but <laughs> um, since joining the Defence Forces, went into, I joined as an Army cadet in 2016 and there was a women's five-a-side held down in the gym one day and we entered a cadet team. And from there, kind of it took off, I suppose, I got involved in the... GF uh, ladies soccer and yeah it's taken off from there I found my love for soccer I suppose since since 26 years ago so you were just into sport and then soccer yeah. there was a five side and that got, got you into it yeah that's that's where it took off and you find your spot centre half now or centre midfield um, yeah I suppose I as Shannon would agree I've kind of played a bit of everywhere um, over in America there this summer so but centre mid kind of seemed to be the one that's excellent. So, so if we talk maybe to yourself, Richie, about the overall arch and then how it's structured, how soccer is structured in the defence forces and uh, the opportunities and the different kind of pathways and different pillars that you have. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's been we've been one of the oldest affiliates of the FEI. So when the Free State Army was founded uh, post Civil War, then we actually became an affiliate of the FEI straight away as one of the, the kind of pillars of the state. And we're very lucky because that's something that's given us such uh, leverage going forward. And we'll probably talk more about that later on in the international tournaments and the Caps, etc. But um, the game then itself within the army, because we were entering a new Irish cultural kind of um, system and the demobilisation of the army after the Civil War, the kind of mass players that were playing football kind of left or weren't in the army and it, and it became deemed a foreign sport. And it wasn't allowed to be played again then until 1940 where it was then recognised again by the Army Athletic Association. And I'll touch on that about why when we talk about the Cunningham Cup later on. But then from that point on, it, got, it grew from strength to strength. Um, we eventually became uh, members of SISMs, uh, coming coming towards the, the late 80s, early 90s. And SISM, just for the listeners at home that mightn't understand. What Sorry, SISM is the, the International Military Sports Council. Um, it was developed in uh, 1948, post-World War II, by six of the Central European countries, Denmark, Belgium, Luxembourg, Holland, France, and I, I think it was Italy, and they were the six founding members. And basically it was friendship through sport was the motto. So the concept was that by building friendships with military nations, it would reduce the chance of war because phone calls, letters, etc. Could, could, could solve minor disputes rather than an escalation to conflict. And that then grew into a competition which is now 140 countries strong. Uh, the last World Games was in China in 2019 where there was uh, 10,000 athletes from 110 different countries playing 30 different sports. So a really, really successful um, invention, for want of a better word. Um, they started off the SISM Games in 1995, actually, in Rome, and they played them the pre-year of the Olympics now every year. 
and it's actually only second to the Olympics in terms of a major sporting event in terms of number and uh, and logistics. Yeah, yeah, like the, the, the China. We'll talk about China in a minute, but the, the the games we were at in China was was absolutely outrageous. They literally built a, a town for the games. You know, so so SISM now has run a competition every year since 1995, a world military or a world military games. Um, and like we took part in two, we qualified for India in 07 and we qualified for China in 2019 and they ran a separate uh, World Games, World Football game in, in Oman in, in 2017. Um, so so to meet this kind of um, professionalism, the football and defence forces had to get more professional. So a committee was established um, there's a president, a chairman, a, a treasurer and a secretary. Um, at the minute the president is Colonel Mark Hearns. Uh, who kind of sets the values and sets the the goals for the for for defence forces soccer before him Brigadier General O'Halloran who did who did a really super job for us as well and then it was uh, General James um, before that as well and, and and obviously going back the last 30, 40 years um, below then you have the four pillars of DF soccer is what I call them so you have the men set up the women set up uh, domestic and internal competitions and then the referee pillar which we're looking to develop. Uh, massively in the, in the coming years so they all fall under the committee and it's, it's the committee's responsibility to develop all four of them uh, going forward but we, we've really stepped on in a, in a professional uh, capacity in the last few years and you mentioned before we came uh, before we started recording uh, there's a you have very special affiliation with the FEI in terms of caps and stuff can you talk to me about that yeah so so obviously we were very lucky with the foundation estate that when the FEI was established the defense forces was deemed an affiliate um myself and colonel Hearns are actually on the National Bodies Chamber in the FAI, we hold two seats um, and something that I was on the Junior Council before that. So we have voting rights within the FAI as well, which is which is brilliant. But I suppose the main benefit it brings to us is the professionalism and the support that we can get through the FAI for making the setups for the men and the women's as most as professional as we can be. For example, we get support through the use of the National Sports Campus in Abbottstown. Uh, we get kit and equipment. And the main thing is the link with developing referees and coaches, which has really helped us push on in the, in terms of the um, how professional we make the setup around this. Our aim is to be an international team, and, and we compete at League of Ireland level when we play League of Ireland friendlies. And, and the women are the same in their lead up to the World Games, and we want to get that, and we want to go better again. And would I be right in saying that once you uh, you compete or you once you represent the defence forces at a competitive level, you get actually a cap, a competitive international cap. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a SISM. It has to be a, a SISM-recognised game or a, CIS, a SISM-recognised challenge match. So uh, any SISM tournament is, is an international cap. Um, any SISM qualifying tournament is an international cap. And currently, um, if, if, it's, if there's a say, for example, now we're playing the French in two weeks in the international friendly in St. Moctis on the 27th, um, that's that's to be deemed an international game as well as it's, it's a, a SISM-recognised challenge game. An example of what's not is ourselves versus the UK Armed Forces because... It's not a national body that we're playing against. We're playing against a collection of, of countries in terms of the United Kingdom. So that's not recognised as a an international cap. So for a young girl or a young boy who wants to come in and play soccer, there's a great opportunity there to get an international cap recognised by the FI. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've uh, two caps sitting at home on my mantelpiece for two tournaments. Deadly. And they're yeah. probably they're probably the pride of me house. They're up there with me commissioning me commissioning sir. The wedding photo I hope. And the wedding photo <laughs> to the right hand side. <laughs> Uh, thanks for that. That might save me. But um, yeah, like it's like I played. I played in the European Championship. Uh, played against Germany. Uh, I've scored against Holland. Like them moments are moments that I'll never forget. And, and myself and, and the sergeant major talk about it all the time with the players currently. Like our job is to provide them the capability to start a game, get a cap, have a video of themselves playing for their country. That in twenty years' time, they have their kid in front of them and say, "Come here, and I'll show you when I play for Ireland." 
and they can put it on the telly. You know, that's the opportunity that we want to give young lads in the army and the, the defence force as a whole. So then I suppose, so that's the kind of overarching your affiliation with the FEI. Then your, your four pillars, you mentioned the men's team, women's, your domestic or your, your internal competitions and your referees. Do you want to maybe yourself and the Sergeant Major talk to me about to the men's side of things? Maybe like what kind of standard are you at? You mentioned League of Ireland, the train and the tournaments. You've mentioned a few things there. Can you talk me through it? Yeah, well, Sergeant Major was in longer than me, so you could go back to when... I can go back started. probably a little bit further from when I first came into it. Now, obviously, the game, the games that have been played before I actually joined up, and the main game that would have been played every year would be against the French. So it would be defence forces would travel over, they'd, they'd come back for the previous year. So you went to uh, their military camp, Fontainebleau. It was mainly a military camp for all conscripts. Now, at that time, the defence or the French team was all professionals. Okay? So you had, we were probably playing against players that probably went on to play in World Cups and we just didn't realise it at the time. So when we travelled over there, you were nearly going over, expecting a kicking, because they were so technically gold fit the whole lot. That's nothing to go against our management and the people that we had here at the time. But at the same time, it, it was the building blocks for where we are now. It was the foundation. We still came in and did our camps. We still went through our phases of uh, play, our tactics, the whole lot. And it has moved on. But at the time, we just knew uh, going forward into our games, right, look, we go, we give up, of course, the Irish, we, we're a small country, we give our best shot, and we played it nearly in halves, like... Was right. We were losing two or three nil. We said, right, lads, we try and keep it down in the, in the second half. And it wasn't that we weren't good players. It was just these were a professional setup. Now you jump forward to now, and it's the French are going back to the professionals again. So we know we're going up against a different animal probably in two weeks' time. But the fact that we've come from back then and how we've uh, got better and better in everything we do, our management, our training, our tactics our physical condition, our nutrition. And when you, actually, when you mentioned the back in the day in the French and there was a professional, was there any, any big names you played against or would you? Last day, day champs. Yeah. I, I have a team sheet there that I got off Wayne Callan, um, who former player up in Dundalk. And I looked at the team sheet, it's, on the, it's actually on the DF uh, Soccer Instagram page. It's like William Gallas, Didier Deschamps. Um, and, and on the picture, you'll, you'll see written beside them where, where their careers went. Every one of them were pros. Two of them were World Cup. Two of them won the World Cup. It, you know, which is which is bananas, you know, in, in comparison to it. But uh, as the major said, there we've we, we've come to that level where we're we're competing. In twenty in twenty eighteen, when we qualified for China, like we, we were probably the best team in Europe. We were the last team still in the tournament in China, European team in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. You know, so end of twenty nineteen, you could argue that we were the best team in Europe with the smallest army by a by a mile. So can you talk me through? We'll say the the senior men's defence forces calendar maybe over a few years. So. Obviously, if they're friendlies, there's a one-off matches and then there's tournaments every few years. So say if I was a young fella coming out of training and I'm big into soccer, what do I expect over the next few years, we'll say, in my calendar? Yeah, so what you're, what you're looking at is we try and run a camp every six or seven weeks. We give a gap in the summer to allow the Cunningham Cup to play and then we go watch the Cunningham Cup to try and get new players. Um, and the Cunningham Cup, we'll, we'll get to it later, but it's kind of like our, our club. Uh, yeah, club. It, it's, it's the internal Barrett's. competition. Yeah. All the units uh, have a team and they, and they compete against one another. Uh, really good story behind it that we'll get to later on. Um, but yeah, for example now, so we're currently in, in, a, in a training process at the minute. Um, we played the UK Armed Forces and the 100 year anniversary of the state in May. We played it in Tallah Stadium. Really big occasion. Um, game didn't go our way, something that's still hurting me to this day. 
Um, but we'll we'll put that right now against the French in two weeks' time. But everything now is turned to the focus to the French. So every game we play, we treat it as the French game. As as the major said, we don't do friendlies. Every game we play, we treat it as an international game. Um, so that we're always at our max. We do we do fitness tests at the start of every camp um, to a professional standard. I'll give you an example of that. Before we went to China, the lessons we learned from being in Oman and getting knocked out in the group stages, even though it was only on goal difference, um, was that technically we can't compete with everyone. Technically, there's going to be better teams when you're playing conscript nations. But on a physical level, if we can match them on a physical level, we have a chance. And if we have a plan and we do our video analysis and we make it as professional as we possibly can. So we sent uh, Frank Carlin at the time was the SNC. I sent him on two weekend courses to England uh, with the Premier League uh, SNCs. And he came back with basically their testing and their model of, of fitness testing. And we had 70% of our team before we left for China were hitting greens pretty much across so the board. Premier League fitness standard. Yeah, so yeah. pretty much Premier League standard before we went to China. Like Frank, in fairness to Frank Carlin, like he came back, we did the fitness testing. Um, there was, because we have so, uh, a selection of PTIs there as well that can also do these fitness tests. But Frank was the main, the main man when it came to uh, adding up all the data. So he took a, another level then where he gave every individual, depending on their position in the team, so whether it be a goalkeeper, a full-back, midfield, striker, because they all have to have more or less the same standard of fitness, but some players have to have a different type of fitness than others. So Frank was able to give each player, whether they were starting on the bench or whatever, even injured, and actually a proper programme that they worked at in between our camps. So we were able to come back after maybe two or three months, three months out, fitness test straight away. So we still should be seeing... Progress. Yeah, yeah. You so know? there was an individual program. Oh, for, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it's the, de- the detail right down to the ground. Oh, right down to the, yeah, yeah. And like another example of the professionalism of that before we went to China was uh, Colin Cavanagh, who's the assistant manager with me, captain down in Limerick. Um, myself and himself went into the Institute of Sport and we got an actual sleep plan before we went to China to, to mitigate the um, jet lag. So literally what we started doing was we set up training sessions at, say, for example, seven in the morning. We looked for friendlies at seven in the morning to mimic playing the games at the time we were going to play out there. You know, so we made it as professional as we could. And, and, and for young lads outside, in particular, say, top Leinster senior or top DDSL or, or, or under-18s, under-19s, uh, League of Ireland, like an opportunity to come into the Defence Forces, train in your off-season, do your recruit training in your off-season, still play your sport outside whilst in the army and, and maintaining your fitness as part of your job in a team environment. You can then take a chance and get a trial for the DF team earn international caps and develop yourself as a player. So we have players that we took in as uh, junior players. For example, Sean Gearns. Sean Gearns was playing junior. He went to St. Michael's then. I think he won the FEI junior with Michael's. Then he went League of Ireland. And now he's a stalwart centre-half in 3D United's team that's about to get promoted, most likely, to the Premier Division of the League of Ireland. But it's an example of someone who was playing at a level and got pushed on. League Race is another prime example of that joined the Defence Forces, got involved with DF Soccer. Um, we were sending videos of him because he was that good. He was he played in the European Championships in Germ- or in France with us. And it was, it was the one I, I played in Germany and I played with him. And the second I was playing with him, I was like, I think he's the best player I've ever played at centre-half. He was the best player in the tournament by a mile. Played all three games, three games in, in five days. Uh, and now he's probably one of the best centre-halves in the country playing centre-half every week for Shamrock Rovers which is another prime example of the pathway that's available to young players. So all, all that is, is that 
all throughout the year? You're training months, you meet months a week or is this like in yeah, concentrated yeah. camps where it's nearly full time or how, how does it work? Um, yeah, so, so basically every six weeks in general, we'll have a one week camp. Full week? Yeah, Monday to Thursday in general. I will try and fit two games into that camp, fitness assessments, video analysis. So it's fairly, it's fairly manic for that short period because we only have the players for that short period. And we also want to be fair to our clubs. You know, we want to be fair to our clubs outside because we're, we're a community-based, you know, we, we, we want to keep the clubs on side as well. So we don't want to be going into the weekends. And we had a game this weekend, but that was a community support game that we were asked to do. Um, when we're leading into big games then, so for example, the French game now in two weeks' time, we try and get the camps closer and closer together. So we had a camp in Limerick last week. We have a gap now of two weeks. Then we come back in for 10 days, including the game itself. Um, we'll play a game on the Thursday, most likely against the Foss. Uh, I was just talking to the Bowes manager this morning and possibly playing them on the Monday morning. If not, um, we'll either look for a League of Ireland uh, or, a, or the guards team who are in preparations themselves for a tournament. And then we'll play the French on the Thursday. After that, then we'll do another camp then in December, regardless. And it's to keep the team going together. Um, and we'll do fitness assessments and we'll maintain it. So that'll lead into next year then. We're going to Paris in France um, for a friendly in February. And we're going to play the UK with the women's team we're doing a, the men and women's are traveling together next June to Portsmouth. So it'll be a big con contingent. So both games will be played on the same day and it'll be a big event, which is brilliant. Uh, we've developed actually a really strong relationship with the UK Armed Forces off the pitch. Yeah, yeah. On the, on the pitch, it's still quite heated, as <laughs> you can imagine. Um, but when you say full-time camp, so say you know, you're, you're, uh, you're working in uh, your barracks or you're, you're in your normal routine job. Are you getting five days then as a, as a full camp or are you kind of half and half or how, how does no, it work? No, the players are literally, it's, it's signed on a detail from Defence Forces headquarters, usually training branch. Um, your name is on a list and you, you come to this camp with us for the days. That's, you're lifted and shifted out of your unit and you are, in essence, a professional footballer for five days. That's, that's some opportunity. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and what we're aiming for here is the big tournament. So we're hoping for a SISM European qualification tournament at the end of next year. Where possibly Greece is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I, possibly Greece. Um, possibly Egypt then for the yeah. world. So, so you're looking at going to Greece, playing in a qualification tournament. The draw hasn't been made yet, so I can't tell you who you'll be playing. International caps, playing for your country, wearing green, national anthem being played abroad. Um, in, in, in essence, to try and qualify for a World Cup in Egypt. We go to Egypt then, and you, you in essence, will have a six-week block training camp before that where you're a professional footballer for six weeks. You'll play Shamrock Rovers, you'll play Shelbourne, you'll play all the best teams that we can get in this country to play against, to mimic the highest standard we possibly can before we go. And all them games are a window shopping for a player. They're literally, we've had players picked up, we've had players picked up in England actually, uh, Barry, it was a Barry Town. Barry Town, we were playing Barry Town, so we were in Glen Fuller, it was his first, I think it was, it was his first game his for the first Army team. that represented DF, and I think it was the Bristol Rovers uh, scout. Make contact with them. Make contact with them after the game, yeah. So th these are, these are again, a, a window shop. And we also record all the games and we send them out to the League of Ireland. So the facilities you're using are obviously top-notch as well. Are you like, you, i seen on your Instagram that you were in FAI HQ in Abbottstown there yeah. the other day. So you're like top-notch top, top -notch facilities with the sounds of it. Yeah, the link with the FAI is amazing. And, and um, Karen McKenna and Walter there are the, the facilities managers out in the FAI. Stephen Egan as well in uh, the stores. Like, we have a really good relationship with these guys. And... Um, so in essence, what in essence you're an international team. When we're preparing for an international game, we're an international team. No different than the Ireland under-19s, 15s senior team. We train in the same facilities, we wear the same kit, and we aim to perform to the same standards. That's that's our goal all the time. Like, but the, the, the big game at the end, of it, as I said, is we want young lads to stay in the army. We want them to have something to look forward to. 
we want them to be able to put a cap up on their wall with a jersey and put a DVD into their, well, whatever, it won't be a DVD in 20 years time, whatever it is. <laughs> on your eyes there, yeah. And have their 20-year-old jump for there, yeah. watching them play for their country. Like, that's what we want for them. And we want them to, to want to be at the pitch. Yeah, it's huge, some opportunities. And be the best they can be, mm. yeah. So looking at the kind of, the calendar over the last five, six, seven, eight years, you mentioned a few tournaments. Can you talk to me about the few tournaments you've been to or, or kind of like, obviously they're probably the pinnacle of what you train for. So you, can you talk to me about the tournaments first and then might talk about the preparation after? Yeah, 100%. Um, so so we, we qualified for Oman in 2017. We qualified through the European Championships. I think we beat French in the, play, the French in the playoff. And uh, we qualified for Oman in January 2017. And was that a season world as well? That, that was it. It was. It wasn't a World Games. It was a World Cup only, which which goes every second year. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we got there, which was which was unbelievable. So we went to Oman and we stayed in a five star hotel. We were staying with two other teams in the hotel that were in our group. Um, there was a gym available to us in the hotel, uh, rooftop bar, or sorry, not bar, pool, pool. Uh, I was still a player at the time, so I wasn't at a bar. I wasn't at a bar. I was still playing. Um, and and it was it was an amazing experience and. Uh, we we drew with Mali one all yeah. uh, in the first game. Mark Horgan scored an equaliser, um, and Mark is actually back playing with us now, which is brilliant. And basically, we we, we got beaten by Qatar. Qatar were absolutely unbelievable, like three uh, nil. Um, they were probably one of the best teams I've seen at a military yeah. level. That that Qatar team were outrageous. Uh, we went into the last game knowing that we had to beat America by four. Okay, um, so that was we, your pool. That, that was the last pool game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually went out and beat America six one. And I remember... Uh, so was it enough? It, it was enough from our point of view. Right. But I remember running back into the screen uh, in the hall to see the score of the Mali guitar game and we needed either one of them to win and the ball was just being knocked around. Ah, right. So, so dead rubber for them. They, they knew it was raw, put both of them through. Right. Look, that's part of the game. Um, it was it was good. Uh, another another great story about Oman is um, the lads were using the social media when they were out there. It doesn't matter what apps they were using, you know, yourself. And um, we ended up getting a bit of a fan base developed. There was a group of about 40 teachers, Irish teachers out there in Oman, and they came to every one of our games. And they were, they were singing and shouting, and like it was like having a bit of support there. Yeah, it, it must have been great to have It, it was brilliant. Yeah. And were, the fields of Attenroy was being sung, and it was really good, especially against the Americans, because everyone knew what we had to do. And the, the, the thing about the American game, probably the goal of the whole tournament was scored in that game by an Irish player, like yeah, Corporate yeah. Dan Connolly yeah. from 7th Battalion. Scored an absolutely worldly. It, it was. Know. It actually made one of the nominations for uh, the Ballon d'Or, or not the Ballon d'Or. Is it the Puskas? Sorry. Yeah. 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 He got the ball and he he uh, he did the gas going. He flicked it over two defenders' heads and put it in the bottom corner. <laughs> and, one, and then he did the Robbie Keane celebration just to add to it. <laughs> and, and anyone that wants to see it, the video is actually on YouTube, um, which was amazing. Oman was brilliant. And then I actually took over as manager after Oman. But um, for me, for me, for me, the lessons learned were were, were huge. In terms of a man, I was able to, I was able to take what I'd seen as a player, and then as a manager, and say, okay, this is what we need to do if we want to qualify for the next round of a World Cup, and we built all that towards the qualification tournament in Holland in 2018. And that was for that was to qualify for China in 2019, the World Games, which was the the, the Olympic Games that we spoke about, or sub Olympic Games. And we went to Holland. Uh, we went on a 13 game unbeaten run before Holland, including Longford Town, Shells, Bows. Like we we were really pinnacling, and then and then it all just led towards China. So you know. then we talk about China. Do, do you want to start with the soccer first and then the hotels and all that? Okay, after? Yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> we'll go that way. Um, so I went over in the advance party. Now, I wasn't 100% sure what to expect because I knew it was different to Oman. It was, there was now going to be 10,000 athletes, 110 different countries, 35 different sports across 20 different locations. So I was like, how are they going to do this logistically? How? 
So next minute I arrive in a, in a taxi outside this uh, village in essence, fully secured, brand new apartments, 28 stories high. And I'm walking in going, we must be just stopping here to collect something, you know. And then I find out that the Irish are staying in block 10, which is the centre block, the tallest block at the top of it. Um, so so straight away I was like, well... The colours out. Yeah, the colours were out. And in the village there was a training gyms, training pitches, uh, there was a shopping street. Yeah, there was everything you needed, even barbers, anything yeah. you needed. And everything, it's an Olympics, but in everything but name, really. It, it, was, it was literally an Olympic village. And, and I, when I got talking to the CISM people out there, they actually explained it to me that the concept behind it is that countries were using it as a tester to see could they run an Olympics. Right. So so countries were, over the years, so Rome, Athens, all, all the different countries were using this SISM's games as a way of testing could they run Olympics. And a lot of the athletes that competed in it were actually competing in Olympics anyway. So they were using it as a training platform right. yeah, for, yeah. for the full Olympics. But it was, um, like the cookhouse, for example, was, how to describe it over the, at the radio, I don't know, maybe 10 football fields long. Easily. 10, so 10 that's where everyone's eating, long. all the athletes. Yeah, and you come 10, in, athletes. and each, each continent had its own stand. But that was the setup that we arrived into. And obviously I got there, I, I established the rooms, I, I text back information to the lads. Um, the lads were following their sleeping plans and all before they came over. And we were drawn in a group with Algeria, Qatar and the USA. Um, when we got Qatar again, we were a bit we were a bit shook by it, you know, and Algeria Algeria were the previous winners of the tournament. So okay. like two so really strong group, teams. Like. Yeah, really strong. And how many in your group? Four. Four. Yeah, re- re- really strong conscript nations. Um so we came up against Algeria in the first game and uh, I, I probably made a mistake as a, as a manager. I tried to play against them. I tried to go up against them and um, and, and they cut us apart. They beat us 4-0. Um, but they, they, we found out then that uh, their right winger played in the Champions League the year before. Uh, they, what they had done was they had taken they had taken one of their Premier League Algerian teams and they had given them a sabbatical basically from the league and brought them to China. Uh, and this was this was a team that played in the Algerian Premier yeah, League. Yeah, so that's the standards you're competing. Yeah, they yeah. were excellent. But to be fair to our lads, we did okay. We did we okay. Did okay. Yeah. Like, like, considering that we we had only been there maybe just over 24 hours. Like, yeah. yeah, and it was a high intensity game to go into, and then you're you're buzzing like, yeah. and you think look, just go go yeah. for it. Yeah, go for it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you just can't go yeah. for it. Yeah, see, yeah. see we, we hadn't seen them. Whereas the other games, we had videos and we could we could prep for them. We had nothing on Algeria. Do you know, so we knew what the Americans would bring, and we yeah. also knew what Qatar had. Yeah, so we'd know we'd know kind of info on Algeria, but um, yeah, so look, we got beaten, and in fairness, that the hardest part then is bouncing back. You know, so yeah, we were playing the USA in the next game, and we knew then that was a must, must win. You know, so we put a lot of prep in, we made a few changes, um, recovery was huge, and then uh, we did a lot of video work. Then we, we got the video analysis of the USA's first game against Qatar. Uh, and when we went down, we beat the USA 2-0. Yeah. Uh, Ronan Cairns and Del Walsh. Del's second World Cup goal. Second World Cup goal, yeah. Um, I think, what does he always say? He's the same amount of World Cup goals as Robbie Keane. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> and he's, he's not shy. He's not shy at telling you. He's no, not, he doesn't sound it now. He's not shy at telling yeah. you. But uh, yeah, really good win. Really positive win. And then we knew we were up against it then in the last game. We knew what we were coming up against. Yeah, so so we changed the system. Um, we sat in a bit. And we looked to hit them on the counter and we put Tony Smith up top because he's a big physical lad, you know, that caused our centre-halves trouble. And, and then we actually started getting the better of the game. Yeah, we didn't really let them play. We mm. pressurised them for the 90 minutes. Right. Like, um, there was nothing left in the tank by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And they even commented on our, um, like, our high pressure like, yeah. that we put them under. Like, we should have stole it in the end. Like, right, Craig yeah. Short was unlucky. 
Um, keeper pulled off a good save in the end, but we should have stole it. Um, and they even kind of expected us to go on further than yeah. we actually did, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they, they actually commented, about, "Why you, why you pressure us like that? Yeah, you why, why did you play like that against Algeria? Was yeah. the yeah. things like yeah, that? Yeah. So, and we were like, well, we didn't know. You know? Learnings, yeah. It was a fantastic. Yeah. Like we didn't find out until that night. Yeah, our accommodation. Oh, it was brilliant. We're yeah. waiting on other results. Yeah, we we done our job. We're waiting on other results. Then the yeah. results came through. It was brilliant. Yeah, the, the, the Qataris didn't expect it at all. And, and but but yeah, so we had to wait on results. Then so we were back in the apartment, and there was an app. There was a, there was an app uh, for the, for the games, and we were waiting and we were watching and we were watching and we were watching and we needed France and Brazil to draw. I think, and uh, I think it was two all, with about five minutes to go, and we were. Up and down and him and on and then the word came in and there's actually a video of it of like us all just yeah, going. We're all in our the management's room waiting for. Yeah, you waiting. Just yeah. like you had this big tactics room that we'd set up and yeah, yeah. for video and all and it was just that was a brilliant experience that was, you know, we got the news. We'd achieved what we wanted to do. We wanted to get out of the group. And then we were like, right, what's next? Like, keep going. Yeah, so what, what, what was next? That, that the problem was we, we the draw, the draw gave us Algeria, Algeria again. Oh, again. Whatever way the, whatever yeah. way the draw worked. But look, we, we said, right, we'll go. We'll, we'll play like we did against the Qataris, you know. Now, bearing in mind, the bodies now are starting to... Like, the, these lads have played four games in seven days at this point, you know, and some of them have played all of them. Uh, we had a couple of injuries. And uh, I think that even the weather, the conditions over there... Humidity, it was very hot. Yeah, you talk very hot, yeah. Very yeah, warm. Yeah. Um, but, like, the lads, we were pumped. We did all our prep. Uh, we played Algerians. We, we, went, we were only 1-0 down at half-time. We actually thought we were in with a real show, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, they gave us a kind of a sucker punch then straight after half time the, the number seven who was their best player literally just ran the pitch and scored uh, like he was it was an outrageous goal uh, but then we started pressuring them yeah we, we went were, at them yeah, with, we, with everything we, and then that's just unfortunately for us they left us with gaps at the back yeah 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 you know. but we, we got we, were, we, we had them in their box for about five minutes at one point corners and free kicks and they actually got two players sent off so uh, we were like, okay, right. This even is, the even the even the crowd like was yeah, the rim yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and every game had a crowd of about a yeah. thousand people like, and mm. and most of them were carrying tricolors like you know, and uh, it was it was brilliant, it was powerful, and uh, yeah, but we we got them down to nine men, and uh, we were like we did everything but score like we were hitting everything. the post, the bar, it wasn't meant to be, and then one of their players broke and Sean Gannon brought him down and that was. One of our players sent Bad off, luck, yeah, yeah. and then uh, so it was ten versus nine. It was a, it was a crazy game, and we, we it has everything. And, and, and we threw we threw everything out of them. We we brought on our big lads up top and launching balls into the box, doing everything we could with chances. And then in the last second of the game, their number seven just got the ball again and just bang Trina. But um, but what an experience! Some experience, some experience, experience, what an experience yeah. you know. I guess we said as we were saying here before here, like. The opening ceremony for it was the equivalent of any opening ceremony I've seen on on TV. TV yeah, yeah. Jackie you know, Chan, the Premier yeah, we of China. We were sitting there watching the whole lot. The Premier of China was there. We were sitting right under the the set of torch, and um, I'll never forget the physio turn around to me. Spud, Spud says to me, he says, "Jinxie, is that Jackie Chan?" He said, <laughs> <laughs> "We do go away, Spud." And this time I looked up. I suppose it is Jackie Chan. <laughs> well, Jackie Chan was singing, singing some. I think it was the game's yeah, song. song. Yeah, but the, so, the, the, the whole floor turned into water. Do you remember? Yeah, the whole. Like, it, was, it was unreal. It was, it was, it was crazy. Ridiculous you know? a, a funny story actually about since we're talking about uh, Lloyd. So it was was his birthday out there or something. That story. Uh, uh, um, is it fit for the mic? Is it? Okay, it's okay. Yeah. The story started when we were in Ireland. We were getting ready to get our ID oh, cards yeah. done, yeah, and was, yeah, we were going in to get our pictures taken. 
and Spud was ahead of me, like, but you can see the fella's picture up on a screen kind of when he's getting it done, like, and Spud anyway, I was standing there anyway, and I was making Spud laugh, and they took the photograph anyway of Spud, but when the, he says to me, Jinx, is that photograph or he says, Grad Spud. It's not a bother on. But when the picture came out for the IDs, we got a big ID. Spud looked like in the picture he was after drinking a bottle of Luxet. Like, I think the Luxet was all over his mouth. It was just the way he was. And, and the bow had been stretched, so you could picture his head, his head oh, being about twice as wide as it actually Anywhere was. we went, we had to go through security cameras, oh, and they'd have a massive screen. So you'd be walking up and it's in your face with a pair in this. So the normal thing to do was all the players would hold back and let Spud go through on his own. <laughs> But um, they had an area, kind of a wind-down area in the camp where people went down, a bit of music playing. That was all cultural stuff and that. But you could go down and just wind down. But when we had finished our competition, we went down and um, there was a massive screen in the ba- on the stage. You so yeah. I went over to the girl that was over with the, She was in charge of the sound or whatever. And I said to her, look, one of our lads, it's his birthday. It wasn't his birthday at all. All right. So I, I gave her the picture of Spud. So... Spud knew there was something. He said, why are you that big fella? I said, nothing, Spud, nothing. And next thing, we all started singing happy birthday and he was there, I was enjoying it. Next thing, look around there, bud. And the whole screen <laughs> was Spud's head. head. So um, every photograph then that was taken, Spud's photograph was photoshopped with everything. Uh, you know? Uh, you know? And, and, here, and you know, he's usually the one that's thrown the abuse. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's usually <laughs> he had a bad trip there when it came to stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I left yeah. on the train as well. And oh, that was hilarious. He was too busy. He was talking. Talking, and the whole team was off the bus. <laughs> the train just went. The train just went. <laughs> <laughs> at the window, looks like we're home alone. So, uh, but, uh, oh, it was brilliant. No, it was fantastic. So then, how? what's the preparation like leading up to that? And how, how, do you get, how do you go about that? Yeah, it's... Well, as Richie said, the, 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 Richie and the coaching staff will uh, devise a training uh, plan. It could range from six to eight weeks. But no, that's just for preparing for the competition. But it's really all year round. Because we'll have gone through trials and players, the whole lot. Um, and then we just kick into our... It's full-time. Once we're leading into that competition, it's full-time. I know you have to thank the company commanders and the unit commanders like for, for allowing the lads, because it's putting strain on the units as well, like to allow the lads to go away for that length of time. like you know. So that was a really one of the first pillars, Richie, you spoke about. That was the kind of the men's side of the house between the tournaments and the training and the prep. Uh, it sounds an unbelievable opportunity for any young uh, fellow that wants to come in and play a bit of soccer. But the next pillar was the women's soccer and the defence forces. So, Shannon and Leah, do you want me to talk to that maybe about kind of what level is that and how kind of structures is it the same as the lads or how, how does it work? Yeah, so the DF ladies uh, team have really taken off over the last seven years. It all kind of started in 2015 when the team travelled over to uh, to England to play the Royal Air Force. I wasn't in for this now, but I, I heard, I've heard plenty of it. Um, Richie, you were actually the manager of that team when, when they went over. But um, yeah, we've travelled over a few times now to London since. Um, there's been a few games against Holland. And I suppose they were all very close games and we were kind of competing in them. It wasn't just a, a friendly game or whatever. You know, we were well able um, and the standard was good. And kind of that's where I suppose the DF Ladies football team have taken off. Um, there's been training camps. Um, over the last few years, I suppose it depends when when there's a fixture kind of organised. We'll have a few training camps uh, prior to it, but um, in particular now this year we travel to America for the SISM World Cup. And say, so how did you qualify for the, that, or was it automatic qualification? So it was. We actually qualified. We kind of found out that we qualified late enough, um, so we probably would have had a few more training camps. 
um, before we headed over. But um, luckily, we had six weeks of training um, before we headed over to America. So, um, so was that similar to the men's? Was that full time, six weeks full time camps? Oh yeah, full time. Yeah. Like it was. We we were kind of around around the country. I suppose we were in Limerick, Kilkenny, the Curra, Dublin for a few weeks, but all. Like Monday to Friday, you know, training, fitness tests, games against um, League of Ireland teams. We had, you know, sports psychologists speaking to us, Colin Tygo Donoghue. We had um, Sergeant Shane Desmond down in Cork with fitness plans for us and nutrition talks. So it was fairly full on for the six weeks. And you were involved in that, Shannon, as well, were you? Yeah, I was involved. So we'd have a really busy week. We'd train in the mornings. We'd do our strength and conditioning. Then in the afternoons, we'd focus on tactics and games, how we're going to play. And then leading up to the tournament itself, we played two of the League of Ireland teams. So we played DLR Waves and then we played Shells. We didn't do too well in the DLR Waves game, but against Shells, I think it was 3-0. Yeah. And we really put it up to them, to be fair. Like, they have some top-class players. Like, some of their players are playing for the Ireland team, like yeah. Kiva Keenan, she's in the Ireland squad. And we really done well against them, I thought. It was a good preparation, preparing us to play against Definitely, a couple of teams yeah. over there. But if you look at us from the first week, say, of our training... Because as I, I kind of mentioned um, in, in the introduction, like I was a GA player. So there's a few of those on, on the soccer team. So if you see the kind of standards in week one to week six, like it's massive. And I'd love to play them now after playing in America and playing the teams we did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd probably put it up to them, I'd say. So then the kind of the standards, have you a few maybe girls playing soccer outside or is it League of Ireland? What kind of rough standard are you? So we have, I think, currently there's probably about six of us who play outside. And when we went over to the tournament, like all the presenters, like they couldn't believe that we only had six actual soccer players on the team and the rest were athletes, but not soccer players. So to see how well they progressed during the six-week camp, like from week one, some of the girls have probably haven't touched the football since they were kids or for a couple of months or whatever. And then by the end of the six weeks, like they were playing against League of Ireland teams. It was just unbelievable Yeah, how well they progressed. So you'd like <clears throat> some of the girls didn't have a background in soccer, so but the, the training camp brought them up to to a great standard. That's six weeks would have been. Well, that's been. because of of the management. Like the management were outstanding. Like the wealth of knowledge they had, just the efforts and commitment they put into us over the six weeks. I suppose that's down to the management and the players. The players were willing to you know give it their all, and we were committed. Like it was six week of uh, six weeks of tough, intensive training, but. God, I wouldn't change for the world. It was, no, it was probably great, the best yeah. summer I've had, yeah. So then the tournament itself, can you talk to me about that? Was that a World Cup or was it a SISM tournament or how, how did it work? So that was a World Cup. Um, I think it's a little bit different to the World Games, so it's just soccer. Okay, yeah. So we went over and there was 10 teams in total. There was ourselves, Cameroon, Mali, USA, South Korea, Germany, France, Belgium and... And ourselves. Um, oh, and Netherlands, yeah. yeah. Netherlands as yeah. well, yeah. And was it pool stages or how was the structure worked or how many games did you have? There was two groups. So we were in group A. So it was in our group, it was ourselves, USA, Cameroon, Germany, Germany and Belgium. So we played the four of them and then, and then at final, the end we yeah. played Netherlands from the other group. So it kind of worked in placings like so it was the one to ten. But um, yeah, it was great. It was a great experience to play against teams, I suppose, that have... As, as the lads are saying, semi-pros, professionals on the team, like France were absolutely outstanding. Like it was, they were amazing to watch. Like it was some brilliant soccer played over there. And where in the USA was that? Was that, did you mention Washington? Oh yeah. So the, we heard we were going to Washington and 
I, like I've never been to the States before, but Washington DC, Washington State, like I, I didn't know. Um, so we thought, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to see the White House. This will be brilliant. Like, no, we were six hours away down over by Seattle. But, um, <laughs> Washington State. Yeah, Washington yeah. <laughs> State. But it was brilliant. I think half the team thought that, so it was great. I, I thought I didn't see it for a while because I was like, oh God, I'd be mortified here now. <laughs> but half the team thought it. Um, but yeah, Sp- Spokane in Washington, it was, oh, it was brilliant. Like we were staying on, um, on base. Okay, so, so, so military base. Yeah, military yeah. base now, but the military base over there, like we were, our accommodation was six kilometers from the entrance. Like there was shopping center on site, a swimming pool, a top class gym. The, just the facilities on, on camp alone were outstanding. Like, so it's nearly its own town. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was a housing estate and everything inside there. So, um, yeah, we were well looked after. All the teams stayed in the one area as well, which was nice because we, you know, you go off to the match, you play them, but you come back and you be chatting away to them. It was nice. It was serious, but I suppose friendship to sport, the kind of the season, season motto, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A great, great uh, tournament feel to it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so the facilities there, what were you playing in in middle of the day? Was the heat in, in the States tough? Was there... Oh my god! Yeah, I yeah. think it was like twenty-five degrees, and we were playing a national turf as well, so that just amps it up like ten degrees at least. I think the first, the opening game was half three, was it? Half three, but that was USA and Belgium, I believe. USA and Belgium, yeah. yeah. And I think like two or three of the girls actually passed out from the heat. It was so intense. Yeah, you were it was just like a hair dryer constantly yeah. on your face, trying to avoid like the just the heat coming off the you know the kind of the four G pitches was insane. But like you were always trying to avoid the half three game. Yeah. The half seven, at least the heat had kind of died down, but the half three game like was, oh my God, it was intense. So how, how many games did you play if you talk me through some of the games? So we played five altogether, yeah. the four in our group and then the final game against the Netherlands. Um, so the first game we played was Germany. I think we done actually really yeah, well. we really um, put it up to him. We kind of shocked ourselves. Yeah, I think it was one nil up until half time, and then unfortunately we got two goals in the second half. But we really put it up to them, as Leah said there. Yeah. The next was Cameroon. And they were just unbelievable. Um, we didn't do too well against them, but they had some world-class players. Like I think a couple of them played in the Olympic games. Like the so yeah. huge is an unbelievable yeah. standard. Yeah, you really like, yeah. see professionals over there. Like they're yeah, yeah. playing. Like um, and then who we went on and played Belgium. We, that we was, played Belgium. Yeah. Then we really matched Belgium yeah. for technical ability. Um, in the end, I think our strength and conditioning training yeah. that we put in beforehand really yeah. worked for us. I mean, we just ran them off the field then the second mentioned. half. Yeah. We can't not mention uh, Sean O'Sullivan's goal. Oh yeah, that was oh, the first. Yeah. That was the first, first tournament. Goal, yeah, yeah first tournament goal, first female tournament goal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's a good story to that as well. Actually, the first game that we played away in the RAF when we drew one all, uh, Siobhan was woman of the match. She was unbelievable, and she got the equaliser with about ten minutes to go in that game as well. So seven years later, she matched what she did in the first away game against the RAF, getting the first in, goal in, in, in the oh, She's an athlete, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my god, she's brilliant! Like, <laughs> delighted for her. She was. Loving the attention afterwards too, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we put up a little clip on social media if anyone wants to go look at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was what, what was that was against Belgium, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we played the USA. So um, the host, so they were they were brilliant. Like we went for dinner and everything after, but we uh, that was a tough game now, and we really put it up to them because I suppose yeah they were they beat Belgium quite well, and we had just beat Belgium. But we were on a high as well after after our win. So um, we what, we went in at halftime 1-0. Until halftime it was 1-0, one one nil, nil, yeah. yeah. So even at halftime, like when we were having to talk, I was like, girls, we can do this. Like it's 1-0, yeah, we yeah. can come back. But unfortunately they just, yeah. they came back harder in the second half. Yeah. That was our fourth 
game. That was our fourth game. Put yeah. a fourth game in, so the legs were tired. And it was every was that second over day. Two week period or seven days or how? Yeah, you're kind of. It was. It was like what was it? Five games in about ten days. Like. Yeah. Tight turnaround. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That heat as well. As yeah. A, yeah, injuries and legs, the heat, everything, dehydration. It's tough. Like it is tough. But it's a great bonding experience, was it? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. And Shannon, you you obviously spent a bit of time playing in the states. Did you recognise any of the girls on the states side, or were you? Could you tell the girls about the conditions over there? You're probably used to playing in them at some stage. Yeah, so I was telling the girls how hot it is over there. I like advised some of them to get like bright coloured boots so your feet don't feel like they're on fire on the turf. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I never would have thought that. It's actually such a small world because to coach off the men's team over there used to coach with my old coach. Right, yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't know how, but he recognised me and we chatted after the game. Oh, so very good, yeah, yeah. Such a small world. And one of the players off the US team actually was my old roommate's friend. Go away. Yeah, such a small so world, small yeah. world, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you talked about, say, the heat and the condition. Your preparation then, you spoke a little bit about that. Was that very similar to the, the men's? Are you in, going to Abbottstown? Are you going, like, are, you, are your facilities top-notch or is it, you going different barracks or how, how does that work? Is it is it parallel or... Is it equal to the men's or is it or what's it like? Definitely, yeah. As uh, Richie was kind of the man behind uh, organising it, so he you have to push him there because he sits across. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like we got the best of best okay. of best of everything. I mean, like we were training out in Abbottstown, the best of gear, the best of uh, tra- training and facilities. Like it was just. Honestly, it was like being a professional athlete. Like you know, we couldn't have asked for anything more. So there is a huge opportunity for uh, any girls are looking looking to come in, maybe play a bit of soccer, maybe just not into soccer but into sports, join the defence force, and then actually go to a very high level and go to tournaments. Oh yeah, so much so much opportunity and so much you know is available to us. Like, yeah, and it's probably progress seems to be progressing. So there's going to be more and more coming on stream, like more matches, more training. Would that be right, Richard? Yeah, hundred percent. Like the the plan now is like the men's is at a really high standard but obviously we want you never stand still otherwise you're going backwards so but the real drive now at the minute is to, to push the women's right up and the referees that's our job is now is to bring the three pillars up together now and have them basically punching above our weight like we are across Europe and then you get across Europe you go across the world you spoke about the pillars there so one of them you mentioned was the domestic was the Cunningham Cup so that's all the barracks is playing internally and uh, like a club like a club scene so I'm assuming that's a feeder then to the men's defence forces uh, side that'd be right yeah 100%, 100%. it's like it's, it's basically a way of us running trials in essence Yeah. but like there's a huge history behind it as well um, as I said it was a foreign game in the defence forces until 1940 the emergency came along of course and during the emergency then the army in strength rose to 60,000 and in that 60,000 you're going to have people that want to play football so they couldn't fully ban it, League of Ireland players and everything else obviously at the time so what happened is a fella called Mr Cunningham was the chairman of Shamrock Rovers and he, um, there was a game between the Eastern Command and the DFTC in 1940 and he presented a trophy to the Defence Forces for that game and the reason he did it and he says to himself, you, you can actually find the quote was he wanted to make sure that, that there was an annual game which means the game would always stay an acceptable game so the Army Athletic Association then allowed soccer become a become a an allowable sport within the Defence Forces. So what happened was, between 1940 and 1967, every year the game was played between the DFTC and the Eastern Command at the time. Yeah, so that's where the Cunningham Cup went left and right from 1940 to 67. And in 67 then, the DFEA at the time was changed to the Defence Forces Athletic Association, then authorised an internal tur- an internal tournament between all the teams and the Army. And as you know, then we were quite close to the troubles at that point, and the Army actually grew again. So there became lots of units. So it became a really, really difficult tournament to win. Um, so from 1967 up till this year, with the exception of the two pandemic years, 
uh, the tournament has ran every single year in the Defence Forces. With funny enough, the Naval Service still holds the most trophies, and they haven't won it in twenty years. But they won the vast majority of the of the initial um, the, the the initial uh, tournaments. But it's a uh, it's a really it's a really um, historic tournament. Like this is the sixty fifth anniversary this year, so I was determined after the pan- the pandemic to make it run. And I really have to thank the units because it overran. It was hard. We had to adjust games. There was there was all sorts of uh, ATCA supports going in. Um, in 2020, we had to cancel it because of the pandemic. 2021, it was 50-50, and we just made the decision for the benefit of everyone that it would be selfish to run it. Yeah. So so we we pushed it into this year, and we said, no matter what now, we're getting it going again on the 65th anniversary. And I have to give credit to all the, the managers out there who took teams because they do that on their own time. Like That's all extra work on top of our jobs. The referees in particular, under, under Decky Sheridan and Alan Sherlock and... They were all over the country. There was only about six or seven of them doing all the games. Donegal, Cork, Dublin. They were everywhere and the tournament wouldn't have happened without them. Um, and then we had a really good final then between the DFTC and the Air Corps there uh, two weeks ago. And the DFTC won 3-0. But like, t- to talk about unit pride, there was some passion in that game. Because I know myself from being in different units, there's like there's a huge pride in, in going for the Cunningham Cup. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great honour. Like, it really know. is. And Jinx, you've won the Cunningham Cup. Yeah, um, I... Would have played all my Cunningham Cup games when I was um, part of Six Battalion. So the Six Battalion, they were in that competition for as long as it was say started, and they never, they never really came close to winning it. But then back in the early nineties, then we got our first win, and we actually won it up in St Francis's pitch, which is now our DF say teams placed a pitch that we're linked in with, and that's where the final was held this year. So I was lucky enough that. There's only a couple of teams that can turn around and say we've won four in a row. So six battalion are one of those teams that have won four in a row. And I know I'm seven battalion now, but I'll always throw that <laughs> I'll always throw that dig at them. You know, yeah, seven yeah. battalion, in fairness to them, all right, maybe they probably got a bit too big for their boots this year. They won it last year for the first time, I think, in their history. But um they have a, a serious team coming through. And um it was great though to see this year. A, a different team that no one would have expected winning it. So, so we're probably we, looking at that tournament to feed into the into the main. Hundred percent. So we, we've eight we've eight teams in that now, and what you're doing is you're picking the best eight players from each team and they go out. So what I get in fairness to the managers, what I get is texts off them going, "Come and watch our game. We have a savage left full who plays for Rockbound, for example." And I think we took uh, we took three players this year, two from the Air Corps. Yeah, that's um, correct, yeah. two, two from the air corps one six battalion, and both of them have made a really good impression uh, two from the 12th battalion really good players who come into the DFT now some 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 really good players that are coming through there so now if you'd be really a young soldier in a unit maybe who's just joined the unit pl- playing well for his team there's a pathway then straight up to the defence forces team and then potentially over to tournaments like Wuhan so there's a great pathway there 100% and, and, and there's two ways right there's word of mouth because we have players on the Defence Forces team and I really try and push this as hard as I can. Geographically, we have someone from every barracks in the country and word of mouth is one. So people know who are playing at a high standard and they'd say, they'll text me and say, bring this lad up for a trial. And then for the Cunningham Cup is, I try and get at least one member of staff at every game. And then the referees feed information to me as well. You want to look at the number eight off the DFTC. He's a smashing player. And so that's the men's side, but just the, the, the women's side hasn't developed that much yet, but you're, you have five-side tournaments, you have kind of trial games and you have stuff going on yeah so right. Maggie Hogan recently this year now held um, a big five side in Kilkenny and so Mag- that, Maggie is uh, Maggie is the face behind DF Lady Soccer okay, she's yeah. she's incredible um, she'd hate to be even mentioned here now but like she she is the driving force but um, held a five side tournament 
uh, which ran brilliantly. Like so, we had the guards in. There was um, a team in from Kilkenny as well, just to add numbers and add teams to it. But yeah, it's a great way of, I suppose, introducing um, new players into the squad as well, because obviously we don't have as much of a, a selection as as the men do. But um, it was a great way to see a few kind of new, newer members into the defence forces. Excellent. So you've, it's not just your your DF women's team and you're going to tournaments, this kind of matches throughout the, throughout the year. And kind yeah, of, there's smaller tournaments yeah. just to kind of Excellent. get everyone involved. Yeah. So if you're the young soldier, female soldier in a unit, play the five aside, then potentially get picked up for the, for the main team. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the pathway. So then, Rich, finally, you mentioned there a few minutes ago that you get feedback from the referees. So that was your final pillar. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so... Um, in essence we have a head referee I, I kind of brought this in about three or four years ago where I actually put a referee on the committee because no referee is no referee is no game you know so um, it was really important to have that on the committee as well so uh, Paul Shute and Alan Sherlock kind of shared that uh, before that there was a man called RQ Foley down in Cork now this man is, is, is has been the real real historical driver of refereeing in the defence forces massively involved in the FEI outside first major League of Ireland referee he refereed, or sorry, assistant refereed in the 1998 World Cup in France, would you believe, which is some achievement because people don't realise that referees get fitness tested to the same standard as a player, if not higher. You know, rules of the game, they're tested constantly to get to that level. So for him, at that time, to be selected from a panel of European referees from Serie A, Premier League, was a, was an outrageous achievement for him. And he drove refereeing then um, when he came back. So they're refing DF games, but they're also refing League of Ireland games yeah. and potentially further. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then what we've done is we've pulled in a few from outside that did referees courses outside and we're constantly trying to improve the panel. Myself and Decky Toll have actually been planning to run a referees course for the last two years and we couldn't during the pandemic. But we actually ran it this week and Shannon was on it. Um, we ran it uh, from Monday to Wednesday last week and we got 20 new referees uh, as I said already, 14 male, 6 female, which is brilliant because that increases the panel massively. And and we, is that course then, is that credit with FAI? Like yeah, that's a referee's licence. Yeah, it's, course, it's right? through the FAI. And, yeah. and Decky Tolan, who was credit, Corporal Decky Tolan from 2BTC, who has the instructor qualification, um, he ran it. He ran the course himself, which took all the work away from the FAI. So they're delighted. Um, and we get the qualifications. Yeah. They just yeah. need to do so that. have rest for our games and for yeah, they'll go out to their communities now Excellent. and referee, Excellent. which is brilliant. And, and referees, you know, people look up to people in the defence forces, and, and there's a small aura of respect about how we carry ourselves. Paul Shute is a prime example. Exactly. He just he just looks at people on the pitch and they go quiet, you know. Um, but like the plan now is, as I said, with the women's, let's let's make it as professional as we can. So we now have a panel of twenty new referees, six League of Ireland standard referees, and a couple in between. So we pull them all together now. We start creating training camps, two-day camps where referees all come in together, watch videos, check out the new rules. Maybe we can put on a game for them and they can you know, comment on the referees in the game. And, and I was talking to Decky Tolan about this the other day and, and he, he's, he's really enthusiastic about this. And it's another opportunity. So if somebody's outside, a young lad, 19, 20 years of age, and he, he wants to referee and he wants to go to the highest standard of refereeing, that's another route he can come into the defence forces. And, and, and what we'll teach him then in the army and his recruit training is leadership, strength, how to carry himself, how to present, how to speak to people. And that'll all fit into making anyone a better referee, in my opinion, anyway. So then, Shannon, you did the course and you're a player. How was that perspective of usually the other side of the ball? Did you get a bit more respect for a referee? Oh, definitely. It was a little bit difficult. You know, like they play videos and they ask you, like, what would you, would you give you yellow hair or red hair? And I'd, sometimes I'd be like, oh, that was a fair tackle. But from the referee's point of view, like, you have to make the call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a little, little bit hard to, like, differentiate between them. But 
it was a really good course and I'm looking forward to getting more involved and refereeing games outside. Obviously, that was just a beginner's course, but hopefully in a couple of years I progress and I get to do the next level up. But it must be great for players even to get a little bit of insight on how difficult it is to be a ref so that when you're on the other side, you're not giving the ref uh, an earful. Yeah, I'll definitely never question a referee's call again <laughs> now that I know how much they actually have to put into the game. <laughs> um, so that kind of wraps up nicely. That's the kind of the end of the fourth pillar, your referees. We talked about the men's, the women's, the kind of domestic league and, the, and then the referees. So just kind of wrap it up then. I might go around the table. So see if there's any boy or girl sitting at home that wants to join the Defence Forces or even a young soldier uh, male or female sitting in their barracks and wants to join one of, the, one of the teams. Any bit of advice you have for them, either joining from outside or if they're in a unit, how to, how to get involved? Rich, you might, might start with yourself. Yeah, yeah, in terms of recruit training, um, I, I'd advise any young footballer out there to, uh, to consider it and to look up what's involved. And look, if anyone wants to talk to me, uh, I'd be well known around the Leicester Senior League. So any, any kind of young, young players around 18, 19, around Dublin, feel free to contact me. You know, um, I'm involved with Crumlin at the minute, under-19s coaching, so even come down and chat to me. No problem at all. Uh, or if there's a coaches out there that want me to come and talk to their teams, like a FOSS team, I'm happy to go out and do a presentation in any school, any football team, uh, and tell you the opportunities involved. But if you want to make a go at football in this country and you're at a high standard, maybe under-19s League of Ireland or just below, it's a massive, massive opportunity. Not only the skills that the Army give you will make you a better person, which will help you create better drive to be a better player, but going through your career then you can progress into coaching or refereeing or whatever and there's massive, massive opportunities and the biggest the biggest one for me and the one that sits on my mantelpiece is I have an international cap, I have a DVD of me scoring a goal against Holland. I can watch and show my young lad who's now playing football me playing for my country. Like, there is no higher honour, you know. So, Leah, do you want to... Um, yeah, so the Defence Forces has given me so many opportunities, I suppose, just after coming back from America, being over to London twice. Um, I'm now on the FEI committee, the Youth and Amateur Committee. Um, so just the opportunities that are available to you within the Defence Forces that you, I suppose that I never saw myself going down. like. Um, and you were a gap player. And a gap player, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just you never know where it takes you. Excellent. Major? Uh, well, I would just say, uh, Richie Morris nearly covered everything there, but what we find with a lot of people that uh, enlist in the Defence Forces now and they come out training, they're very shy, they're very standoffish, so make yourself known to us and then we'll show you the pathway. And we've had some players that have come through, maybe they missed the boat, say, when they, before they joined the Army, they missed that chance to get that international cap or whatever. So this is another stepping stone. And then... As Richie was saying there about the referee and so forth like that, when your playing career is over, you then have the avenues of going down to coaching, the medical side of things, the strength and conditioning side of things. But definitely make yourselves known to us and we'll look after the rest. Excellent. Shannon, to finish it off? Yeah, I'd 100% recommend it. Like I've Ever since I joined, I've never regretted it. And the opportunities through soccer itself like is just unbelievable. As we talked about refereeing, coaching, not just playing, like, but it's... It's just amazing for a young girl to be able to see that they can join, they can still be involved in sports, not just all work. Like you're getting the opportunity to go out and represent your country. Like it's unbelievable. Well, that's absolutely excellent. That was being a great old chat. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, it's been great to have you. Cheers. Thanks very much. For further information on Defence Forces Soccer, check out our social media channels and our website, military.ie. The Irish Defence Force podcast is available on Spotify, Acast and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. The Irish Defence Force podcast will be back soon with another episode. Until then, 
Thanks for listening and stay safe.